Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money has a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible. Welcome everybody to It's More Than Money podcast and really excited about this episode. We have Malcolm McComb on again. We had him on just in our previous episode to talk about the importance of estate planning and in particular some uh, issues and challenges and what should be rectified or what should be put in place in around super. And in this episode, we're going to talk about business succession planning and we're going to, we're going to cover off why? Why is this a topic that should be addressed? We're going to talk about the specifics of a of partnerships in business and consider the end of a business relationship or a business partnership, whether it's a voluntary exit, so as a business partner, if you just want to up and leave, or an involuntary exit, which is usually as a result of an accident or even a business partner dying. So we're going to cover that off. We're going to talk about what structures to set up and ways you could actually fund the payout of a shareholder leaving. And this is potentially one of the big issues is how does the business fund the payout of a shareholder if they leave, whether voluntary or whether involuntary. So Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us again. Some really, really important topics to discuss and looking forward to digging into your brain and your, the wisdom that you have. <laughs> Thanks, Guy. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And uh, okay, let's get started. Generally speaking, Business succession planning, what does it mean? Well, personal succession planning is estate planning, wills, powers of attorney, things like that for thinking about when things don't go right for you personally. Business succession planning is succession planning, but in relation to the business or enterprise that you might own or have an interest in. Uh, You might be the manager and the operator of the business, or you may simply be a silent partner in the business. But either way, if if it's an asset, a business asset of yours, then you should be thinking about the time which will inevitably come when you will be exiting that business in one form or another. The best time to be thinking about those things is right at the outset. So when clients are coming in to me and and talking to me about establishing a new business or buying into a a business or bringing a partner on, any of those sort of things, I ask them to put their mind to, well, what's going to happen when at some point in the future, which is inevitable, you are going to exit the business? How would you like to see that structured? And let's put plans in place around that so that everybody knows what to expect at the relevant time and agreement has been reached. It depends, it depends about how your business is structured. And And it's a little, it's a little bit like planning for a divorce just as you're about to walk down the aisle and get married. (laughs) Sounds really bad, but it's such, (laughs) but in this instance, it is inevitable. It's it's enough. (laughs) <laughs> There's certain analogy to that, and, and I suppose that, that when you do walk down the aisle, that when you take the vows, 
usually the words till death do <laughs> are in there. So yes. there, there is an element of... of Business partnerships are a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, it doesn't have to be a bad exit. I no, mean, no. When, you know, when I'm talking to my clients about their business succession planning, it's not all negative, not at all. In fact, it's a positive thing. For most of us, our business progression and the way that we hope it will progress is going to be, well, the business is, we're going to enter into the business, we're going to get involved with it, it's going to flourish, it's going to do well, and we're going to leave on good terms. Yeah. We're going to sell and, and take a, a nice payout for what we've built up. Or alternatively, we might retire from the business and um, and and be there on a nice retirement. Terms. And it can be it can be a case of the the going into business, all the excitement of starting a business, uh, creating a partnership, or whether it's you know dual directorship in a business, or even there's more than two partners. There might be three or four directors part of the business. One of the it can be one of the hesitations. So it's all exciting. We just want to get into the growth and we want to get into the opportunity and the potential without that end result in mind. But it really is something that needs to be faced head on because often that hesitation and not wanting to address it is what is the reason why it becomes an issue when someone actually does want to leave. So it's about, I guess, making it a lot clearer for everyone as we go into this relationship, we know how we can exit the relationship if we so choose. And that can actually make the relationship in itself work a whole lot better. When everyone's that's, on the same page. Oh, that's, that's very, very true. And in fact, I was just thinking of your analogy about walking down the aisle. And <laughs> you can use that one, Malcolm. <laughs> well, thank you. Maybe, maybe another analogy might be, and, and it happens so frequently in modern life now, is where two people get together, but it's not their first marriage or relationship. And they might be bringing a mixture of, children assets into that second relationship or third relationship and binding financial agreements, prenuptial yes. agreements, if you like. That's probably the more analogous situation to business succession planning. Yeah. So it's not necessarily all negative. It's actually you're planning for a good future, a good exit, no matter yeah, yeah. what that exit might be. might not be good for you. I mean, obviously, if you're in business and you die, that's yeah. not ideal for you personally. But if you put plans in place, business succession plans, they will protect your family and your loved ones. And that is positive. That is worth doing. That, that's, that's a good way to frame it too, Malcolm, that you're planning for a good exit. You're not planning to avoid an issue. So rather than taint this process with, oh, just in case everyone turns terrible or the relationship goes pear-shaped, Instead of planning for that, which is covered in the process, but it's more about planning for an exit the way people want it to happen. No issues. We can just walk away nice and easy. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone agrees. Everyone signs off. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And and having those plans in place, having discussed them, because it's Russian roulette. When you're putting plans like that in place, let's say you have a partner that's Take a simple case of two partners in a business putting their business succession plans in place. Who is going to actually need or benefit from those plans? Yeah. It is, it is Russian roulette. So there's no need to be negative about it with your business partner. It's better to put it on the table, discuss it, 
and put some sensible succession plans in place that will work for the business and yep. for and all of the partners. What would you say or suggest where, um, and this is a little bit along the lines of, I'll use the old term, I guess, that most people are familiar with, whether it's from the movies or otherwise, a prenuptial agreement, bringing that topic up with a partner, and in this case, a business partner, that partner could potentially take offence. So that could be sort of perceived to be like, Malcolm, we're about to go into business and I come to you and say, I want to put a a business agreement in place that if something doesn't work out, we can leave and there's no problems. So in that moment where you might have taken offence to that and you feel that I don't trust you, what suggestions or what sort of guidance would you provide people wanting to bring this up with a business partner? Oh, I think, again, it, it's a matter of approaching it. It is a sensitive issue, and I, I yeah. fully understand that. But I think the way to approach it, particularly opening the conversation with your business partner, for example, is on a neutral basis. On that basis I was talking about before, this may be a benefit to you more than it will be to me, or vice versa. We yeah. really don't know, but it is good planning which is going to be beneficial potentially for our business and therefore for both of us. Yeah. And therefore, it's something worth talking through. It doesn't matter what sort of paperwork you have around your enterprise or your business. The underlying critical element is trust. Yeah. And therefore, in raising these sort of issues, sensitive though they may be, Trust has to be paramount that you can talk these things through and you can get to a position of agreement with your business partner on them so that there is benefit, planning benefit to both of you. So it doesn't need to be approached from a a negative perspective. It can be on start with a neutral sort of ground perspective. Look, this is just a good idea. I heard from some friends or, you know, perhaps uh, a war story about, you know, someone's business where they hadn't put business planning in place for their succession and then it turned into a bit of a nightmare. So let's avoid that and then open that conversation with your business partner based upon that, just avoiding negatives rather than approaching them. Mm. And often that nightmare will come about purely because the business doesn't have the money to pay out the shareholder that may want to leave. So if it's positioned early on that if I want to leave in 10 years' time or if there's at least just some indication or some discussion that comes about of just in case I want to leave in five or 10 years' time, let's get all this drafted up. And it's the funding. So where there is no planning for an exit and then one day or ever a series of months a business partner goes, hey, I want out, give me my money, and the business doesn't have it, that's when the issues come about. So proper planning can solve that particular issue and everyone's on the same page or of the expectation as, for example, it could be, well, we need to, as we go along in business, prep our business for a potential payout of a shareholder. So for every bit of growth, for every bit of value increase in the business, we need to make sure we're factoring in a potential payout. So it's, it's just logical and sensible planning in business. Absolutely, and that, that's a critical part of your business succession plan. Yeah. Working out the funding that needs to be in place because typically 
while it may be of significant impact to the exiting party, the funding needs to be in place for the benefit of the continuing partner in the business. Yeah, yeah. Without that, well, without that, the business is possibly going to be financially challenged to the point of perhaps falling over, having to be sold, having to be wound up. Yeah. Um, and that's not, I mean, if you're, again, come back to that simple two-person partnership, for example, and one partner dies, well, mm. there, there hasn't, it's not good news to the, you know, to the exiting partner who's died, but it's also not good news to the continuing partner because they're going to have to fund somehow and fairly quickly the means of buying out the deceased partner's estate plus continue the necessary cash flow and operations of the business. That might mean having to bring on more staff. It might mean a whole range of additional expenses, mm. you know, which the gap of the deceased partner has created. So these things and the funding of the circumstances, the succession exit, are really critical. So there's, there's really only two simple forms of exit. One is voluntary, and the other is involuntary, say mm, death. Yeah. Uh, voluntary might be your partner comes to you one day and says, no, my partner's been on my back, we're moving into state, sorry, I'm out of here and I'm exiting the partnership. Mm. Um, you haven't got a lot of notice of that necessarily no. and if you don't have any plans in place it could be quite ugly particularly. you could end up scrambling for money you contact the bank is it possible that way do you have to draw equity back on the house there's lots of things yeah yeah you're, you're losing potentially you're losing a lot of business knowledge a lot of expertise yep as your partner leaves but you're also going to have a cash flow crisis potentially. Yeah. Talking these things through, working out the funding. Yeah. The funding in the event of an involuntary exit, say death, that is perhaps more easily managed to the extent that as long as the partners are insurable, then you can look at cheaper insurance, term life insurance option. Um, if, if partners aren't insurable and Certainly, I've had plenty of experience with that. Mm. And there's been, you know, insurance would have provided a good outlet or a good means of being able to fund exit, but it's just not available because one or more of the partners have had health, health issues or age issues. Mm. It's a big thing because we've, we've worked with many businesses and there are payouts of shareholdings in the event of death and in particular disablement. So we've got to remember here too that Disabled when someone becomes chronically ill, uh, how long will the business keep that shareholder on if 12 months later they might still be going through cancer treatment or rehabilitation? Is the business still prepared to keep that director on or they want to be in a position where they can just pay the director out and get someone in to fill those shoes? So there's a the funding mechanism there is beyond death and just paying out that shareholder's value to the, the deceased family. When it comes to, uh, I guess, um, structures and values, so one thing is well, there's shareholdings worth millions of dollars that uh, a business doesn't have the cash to pay and they can't go to the bank to raise the money to then pay out that shareholder. So funding mechanisms we'll get into. From a structural point of view, are the structures you put in place for voluntary exit 
similar to the structures that can be put in place for involuntary exit? Or is there some differences? Now, I'm not looking for exacts here, and I know that different circumstances require different approaches, but can you give us a bit of a guide of what structures might get put in place in either case? So funding structures, Todd? Funding structures or also maybe certain agreements that get put in place. Yeah, they, they can be um, similar. Yeah. But it depends upon precisely what circumstances you're looking at. So let's say if you're talking about retirement of a partner. So retirement of a partner, uh, voluntary retirement, you can structure that in a similar manner than you would structure or one of the options to structure funding in the event of involuntary death. And, and that would be a payout of the exiting partner or their, if it's death, then their estate over a period of time so that the cash flow of the business can actually fund the payout of that partner. Uh, so that's, that's one where you can have the same sort of funding mechanism in place for both voluntary and involuntary. Okay. Where it's a retirement, then you don't have insurance options that I'm aware of, but you may know better than I do. <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of either. No, no. <laughs> insurance companies aren't fussed about the idea if you're saying, oh, look, I'd like to take that policy and <laughs> my partner retiring in the next yeah, yeah. Imagine the mass exodus out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think they'd be immediately checking all of the mobile phone calls between the two partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just for an investigation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so the, the insurance funding is tends to be only available in the event of disability or death. So other than that, so it's, it's, it's really about proper business cash flow planning that would align with any potential exit. So if we wind back to what we were talking about initially, if people are in a position where they're just about to step into or engage in some type of partnership, there's many and varied structures, which is a topic for another episode, but whether it be company or straight partnerships, there's an arrangement that really should go into place or a discussion that should be had that, okay, let's plan for an exit and to potentially put in your terms, let's plan for a retirement of a director or a partner. And in doing so, let's work out a cash flow funding mechanism to help that happen. At the very least, do we once, in a, once a year go to the bank and say, can we affordably borrow against the business to pay out a potential shareholder? So just have it on the, I guess, the to-do list as a business owner that there are provisions in place always to fund the exit of a business partner voluntarily. Now, to fund those exits because of death and TPD, that's where an insurance arrangement can come into place. Life insurance and permanent disability insurance, that sort of stuff can come into place. For structures, Malcolm, a couple of key points around voluntary. It comes back to, I'm gathering, shareholder agreements and sort of sometimes referred to as maybe buy-sell agreements or how does that work from a voluntary exit point of view? With buy-sell agreements and or other forms of exit agreements. I mean, typically, and as we've been talking today, Kai, it's, it's struck me that this often creates a problem when there isn't adequate documentation around the structure of the business yeah. in the first place. Yeah. 
two people get together, they're going to they're going to set up a plumbing business, let's say, and they decide they're just going to do it. They do a handshake, they they discuss how they're doing it, but they never actually document the terms of their business relationship. Yeah. They don't have a written partnership agreement to rise. That because if you sit down and you do put together a written partnership agreement, you're getting appropriate independent advice. That advice will include succession planning. It will yeah. include, well, retirement, death, disability. What's going to happen here? I mean, how long are, are you going to tolerate your partner not coming to work mm. because they are disabled? At what point will you say the partnership is over? So yeah. it, it, it comes back to putting your uh, structures in place and preferably in writing so that each of you have a document you can refer back to or if yeah. you die or if you're disabled, something to refer back to. And if you have diff different structures will require different types of documents. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the sort of structures you could have, anything from a sole trader to a partnership to a, a company to a trust uh, arrangement. And each of them will have different sort of documentary possibilities and requirements to be able to deal with your daily operations as well as your business succession when yeah. partners, directors, shareholders, unit holders, whoever it might be, mm. are going to be exiting. And we're, we're all going to exit, I'm afraid. We're, we're, yeah, all, yeah. we're all transitional. We're all temporary to that extent. And once you realise that, I mean, when you when you start into a new business, a new enterprise, it's exciting and, and you just want to think about the positives and all the good things. And you don't focus on the reality of, well, even if all these good things come to pass, what is going to happen at the end of the day when, when we want to, want to exit? And they can be dealt with. They can be dealt with in a, in a very um, effective way, terribly effective way. And, and if there are issues to overcome, much, much better to be able to discuss those issues when there aren't any problems in the partnership or in the business. And you're just doing logical, clear-headed planning rather than waiting until... Uh, I've got a bad relationship with my business partner. Mm. I really want to get rid of them, but how do I do it? And you don't know how, or you know, they're not coming to work because I know I know they're sick and I know they're getting treatment, but that doesn't help the business. You've got no. And then there's there's an element of guilt there. Like you touched on a little bit before, how long do you tolerate? Uh, and it sounds almost bad to say, but there is two components to this one. There's the hum humanitarian side. There is a sick human being who is your business partner you likely got a great relationship with. Who knows where they're going health-wise? And, yeah, how long do or how long does the business carry that individual? And there needs to be a, a separation between the financial decisions and the emotional decisions. So from an emotional point of view, as a business partner, and depending on what your relationship is, you can still support that sick or injured business partner. From a financial point of view, if there's a lot of clear boundaries, guidelines and agreements drafted up in the first place, it dispels any expectations or issues that may come about either by 
the sick or injured individual who might have expectations on the business partner to carry them because there yeah. is no agreement. But if it's all set in stone up front, the expectations are really clear. And then it does become a friendship or an emotional support and the numbers and the business relationship is in the background, sorted, it's in black and white, and it doesn't confuse the situation. I think that's probably the most important point because business relationships often do become somewhat of a friendship. And then we end up questioning ourselves, should I or should I not do this or do that? Because the emotional aspects and the friendships come into it, not the clear guidelines to say, this is business, I'll still support you as a friend. As a friend and as a business partner, we spoke about this three years earlier. This is what we wanted, both of us. We were happy with the outcome. Let's just execute it. And let's get on with all maintaining our friendship as an example. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the, the good examples of exactly what you're talking about is having reached an agreement, for example, that a business partner has decided they want to exit. So is there an agreed formula to determine the value of the business yeah. that the continuing partner will pay to the exiting partner. If you have no agreed machinery or formula to be able to do that and you have become friends and you have a relationship in the business, you have this crossover of what you're talking about between the business, the financial and the emotional, the friendship aspect of it. Uh, whereas if you have in earlier times agreed on that on a good, rational, yeah. sensible basis, hey, if one of us wants to leave, we'll go and get an independent valuation or we'll go to Joe Boggs down the street who's in the same industry and yep. we'll get an independent valuation from him about, you know, what this business is actually yeah. worth. And, and, and need to review that, especially if, you, if you've got a fast-growing business, the value could change quite rapidly. So there's no real rule of thumb or set time frame to revalue a business. It depends, I guess, if there is a rule of thumb at the very least, maybe every couple of years, but it really does depend on the growth and what's happening. So you could rapidly grow in 12 months, the business could change value by 30 or 40%. So it needs to be revisited because even that time, hey, sorry. Sorry, Kai. Um, um, I agree with you. And, and again, on that, that point, there are many... Um, shareholders or partnership agreements that I've seen where the partners agree on the value of the business but they're meant to do it say on an annual basis and they magically reach agreement okay today on the 1st of July 2021 this is the value of our business yes we agree on that one they don't continue to revalue it on an annual basis no. <laughs> they don't have it there um, they're too and, busy and, in business. <laughs> yeah. And, and two, the valuation is out of date, exactly what you're saying. And it's, yeah. it's irrelevant. And that's even worse. Oh, no. This is our agreed value of the business. So mm. I'm, I'm really not a fan of this. We'll lock in the value of the business and no. agree on it for a period of time. I think it's far more sensible to have an agreement with your business partners that if she wants to leave, then... We've already agreed we're going to follow this formula or get this valuation done to determine what a fair value of our business is yeah. rather than have some fixed price valuation that may be out of date. Yeah, and that's often too where a big 
bad surprise can come into it where it hasn't been reviewed, let's say, for a couple of years. The business has grown a lot. Let's say, for example, one of the business partners, whether it be sick, injured, or just found new things that they may want to get their teeth into and want to leave the business, all of a sudden, hey, pay me out. Oh, the valuation still is two years ago. Hang on a sec, our profits increased 20% over the last two years. The the Too bad. The value is what it is. That's what we agreed to. So it definitely pays to have it reviewed. So we've kind of got start, which is let's talk and let's establish grounds for exit that we're all happy with. Second part is let's review it, especially where there is good growth in the business regularly. Three, how do we fund it? Which is one, whether it be managing cash flow or otherwise of the business, talking to lenders and financiers, whatever it might be. And the other side is more relevant to death or disablement through insurances. In and around what we have spoken about, the shareholder agreements, and at least anything I've seen, and you would be able to shed some light, Malcolm, otherwise, that shareholder agreements cover almost everything, but more often than not, there's a gap when it comes to who gets paid out money on death or disablement. That's as what I've seen, shareholder agreements do not cover that. So it's a, almost a sp- specific requirement to have addressed by a lawyer or legal team to make sure that's drafted up. And that's usually a buy-sell agreement. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 A buy-sell agreement which sets out the rules associated with one party exiting and the basis of the acquisition of that exiting party's interest. And one of the hard parts with that is to guess give some context to listeners and the reality, the mechanics behind actually putting that together. It'll be two business partners. We'll stick with that simplistic example, sitting down with you, Malcolm, saying, all right, we've got a business partnership. And if my business partner dies, we want the business to be able to pay them out. So death is really straightforward. They're either in the business or they've died and they're gone. Pretty easy to work out. It gets tougher for partners to agree on, and we've touched on this already, how long does a business partner get supported while they're sick or disabled? So drafting rules in this agreement, called a buy-sell agreement, drafting rules that stipulate when the exit's actually triggered. So one of those next examples is permanent disability or permanent incapacity. And sometimes, and definitely add to this, Malcolm, where an insurance policy is used to fund or cover the life insured, Sometimes what I've seen is the agreement, the buy-sell agreement, is triggered or aligns with an insurance claim being approved. So if an insurance claim is approved, that means technically that that business partner is disabled, which then in itself triggers the buy-sell, which means that business partner is out and they're funded. Is there any different sort of wordings in around that that you've seen? Well, no, I, I agree with your Um, general statement that many buy-sell agreements tie themselves to the actual acceptance by the insurer of disability, for example. But you can have, you can still have a separate definition of disability or a trigger date, trigger mechanism in your agreement which may not necessarily align completely with acceptance by the insurance company of whether that's disability. 
Okay. So it's almost like the, the, the partnership or the buy-sell agreement as drafted by the business partners could say, okay, a business partner will be exited out of the business in these instances of dis- disability, regardless of whether an insurer approves a claim or not. You can do that. Yep. The, the issue will be around funding. Yes. Uh, be, because often where there is an insurance policy for disability or for death, then that is the means of achieving the payout of the exiting partner. Um, And often the agreements say that until the insurance company has accepted that, then funding is not in place and there is still an obligation on the continuing partner, the continuing shareholder to fund the payout and that can therefore raise another issue. Yeah. With, with those buy-sell agreements and where there is insurance uh, for death or disability, it's my view, and I, I prefer by and large, to see that the exiting party owns their own insurance. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So that because typically, you know, let's go back to that, to partner enterprise, irrespective of whether it's the which partner is involved, often their spouse or their uh, social partner isn't involved in the business and has very little knowledge about the business. And if one of the partners dies, it's terrible for the wife or husband to have to then go down on bended knee to the other business partner and say, hey, I think I'm entitled to the proceeds of that insurance policy, which the business is actually owning yeah. over my deceased partner's life. Yeah. And that's my funding. So absolutely. And it avoids tax issues as well. It does, yes. I don't advise on the taxation side of things. No, nor do I. I. That. <laughs> that's our disclaimer. <laughs> I I understand that is the case. And, and yeah. Yeah. That, it it's true. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, that comes back to structuring. So there's, I guess, many and varied hands involved in getting the right mix in place. There would be insurance slash financial advice in and around structuring funding. And then there's the legal documents that get drafted up by the likes of yourself, Malcolm. And then there is the elements of accounting that come into play, whether it be through valuations and tax advice in, in where money gets funded through what structures. There is a little bit to work through, but as a business owner, it's a matter, in my opinion, just to step up and get it done. You're in business, and when you're in business, this is what it means. If you don't like being in business, go be an employee. You don't have to address these sorts of things, but we're in business for a reason. We're in business because we want to create authentically from ourselves. So if we want to create and we want to grow and we want to expand and we want to evolve, then to protect that creation, these are the steps that need to be taken, what we're talking about today. And and we've spoken about the buy-sell. So it ensures that the director who's died or who's sick or otherwise gets paid out their shareholding that they hold in the business and the exit of that director is triggered by what's drafted in the buy-sell agreement. The next thing I wanted to touch on is that as a result of that director leaving, how much of a financial impact does that have on the business and the remaining director. So, for example, if we're in business, Malcolm, and we've been five, 10 years in, I've mm. got key relationships that generate 50% of the revenue. 
the relationships I have have nothing to do with you and you have nothing to do with them. So that 50% of revenue I'm bringing in through my work, if I'm dead, what does that mean for the business? What does that mean for you then? So there's a, a, um, a structure or there's a, a policy you can call key person insurance. And what that means is that for the fifth potential 50% reduction in revenue our business would have as a result of my death, the business can receive a cash injection to fill that hole. And that cash injection comes from an insurance policy. Now, that key person arrangement, Malcolm, is that a separate agreement again or is it tied into the buy-sell agreement? Uh, look, typically you can incorporate it into it. Yeah. Um, depends on the circum- each of the circumstances that the enterprise is in at the time. But usually you can tie it in and there's no need to have separate or independent documentation, just simply provisions that also deal with that aspect. And I just want to touch on there too, that from an insurance funding perspective, it's and one of the ways I've used to explain it in some regard is that you simply just rent the use of money. So you're potentially going to use some money down the track as a result of someone else's death or disablement. And for the privilege of being out having access to that, you pay rent every month. And that rent is an insurance premium. Now, when it comes to businesses in general, what I've seen most common, and this is not a blanket for everyone, they seem to sit around 2 to 3%. So the premium costs are usually roughly around 2 to 3% of the turnover of the business. Some of those costs are tax deductible to the business, and some of those costs are borne uh, by the life insured or paid by the business on a non-tax deductible basis. So I just wanted to, I guess, touch on a couple of those things there that, uh, and recap that there's legal agreements that get drafted and they stipulate the rules of an exit of a partner. And then the separate to that is the funding mechanism. So we've spoken about managing the cash flow, financing or borrowing, whatever it might be. And also in the instance of death or disablement, there's insurance funding arrangement. So there's a, a few moving parts here, I guess, to cap off or round off, Malcolm. What's a, a good summary do you think people could consider or take away from today to then start thinking what they need to do or reach out for help? I think what you should be doing if you're in business is to consider the nature of your business and the structure of your business. You will know that already. Have you documented that in a manner that if you're not around to explain it to your spouse or partner that it will be there and available so that he or she can obtain independent advice and protect their interests that you if you have a business partner or associate or a shareholder or a company or trust that you discuss those issues with your business partners and that you reach agreement on the future and that you document those agreements. And it often doesn't need to be complex. Part of that documentation and that discussion is going to involve necessarily funding. It may involve buy-sell agreements, it may involve insurance, but that will be potentially so beneficial for you, your business partner, and the business in the long term, it's seriously worth doing. Oh, absolutely. 
voluntary or involuntary exit. It saves a lot of headaches if the work and the planning is done right up front. And then it's regularly reviewed to reflect the wishes of the directors of the partners and also reflect the value of the business or changes within the business. So it's definitely worthwhile. And as I touched on earlier, it's worthwhile not just from a a legal point of view or financial point of view and experts in, in their field saying you should do this. It's actually really worthwhile from a point of view that you're in business. It's an extension of ourselves. There's 5, 10, 20, 30 years in the creation of that business. It's protecting that. A lot of blood, sweat and tears in there. There's a lot of family time in the background that has been sacrificed to create that business. So it's about protecting that and making sure that no one's left wanting and no one's left battling something that they don't want to be battling when they're already facing some potential hardship, emotional or otherwise. So definitely an important topic, Malcolm. You've seen a lot of it. I've seen a lot of it. And quite simply, just get it done. Get the right advice up front and save yourself some hassles down the track. I agree with that 100%. (laughs) I appreciate your time, your wisdom as always, Malcolm. It's been great chatting to you. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again, mate. And we look forward to talking to you again and we'll get this episode out. And everyone, please reach out. Malcolm McComb, McComb Matsinger Lawyers. Contact details, Malcolm. How do we get in touch with you? Uh, You can contact us either by uh, going on to uh, the internet and looking at our website, um, www.mmlaw.com.au or by all means, you can telephone us directly on 5443-1800. Sounds good, Malcolm. Thank you again. Thank you, Kai. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. By the way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care. We'll catch you next time.